0: All right, good morning. My name is Amin. I am one of the pastors of a church in the Palisades called Calvary, and it's great to be here this morning. It's great to see, obviously, many, many new faces, but also some really familiar faces as well. Uh, Probably the person I know the most in this community is Sean Blackwood. Um, Sean started coming to Calvary as a sophomore in college, and I will spare you any real stories about what we encountered with Sean as a sophomore in college. Uh, He started working with our middle school students, and I would say that for Sean and myself, our bond really forged uh, while we were volunteering together, uh, counseling middle schoolers at Hume Lake. And if you have not been around middle school boys in some time, Let me just give you a picture of the type of world that Sean and I, for some reason, volunteered ourselves into. Um, We would get to camp, and the first thing we would realize is that uh, middle school boys do not wear deodorant. It is 100 degrees during this week. They're now wearing are deodorant, the cabin reeks, the cabin stinks. On the first day of camp, these kids get a recreation t-shirt. They put this t-shirt on on day one, they do not take this t-shirt off until their parents rip it off their bodies when they get back home, and I'm sure they burn these t-shirts. <laughs> Through our time there, um, Sean and I have encountered many, many adventures. The one that sticks out to me the most in our experience was one particular student Um, During Sean's first year there, his name was Clay Blakely. If you know Clay Blakely, have him call me. He owes me uh, many apologies. But um, Clay was the epitome of one of these middle school students who had no cares in the world, who wore his shirt the entire week, who never showered, um, would jump into the lake wearing this t-shirt. Midway into camp, um, Clay went to the general store. He bought, for some reason, this softball-sized jawbreaker that he proceeded to just hold and lick for the next day and a half. I would see him at lunch, he's holding and licking it. During recreation, just holding and licking it. At chapel, he would sit there while the person is preaching, just staring and licking this jawbreaker. The next evening, Sean and I were standing outside of the chapel, we're waiting for chapel to begin, the doors to open and Clay and his buddy get bored waiting. So they, of course, start throwing this jawbreaker back and forth to one another, and they're catching it and throwing it, and every fourth throw, Clay would grab it, he would lick it, and then he would throw it back at the other boy. Of course, one of the times the jawbreaker gets thrown, Clay misses it, it hits the ground, Clay picks it up, it's full of dirt, he wipes it on this shirt, which is disgusting, he licks it, and then throws it back at the other kid. I don't know who I'm more horrified for, Clay who is licking this thing, or this other boy that thinks it's a great idea to catch this thing that is completely full of germs. The next morning, I'm at breakfast with Clay Blakely. I pour my cereal, I've got my coffee, I'm exhausted, we haven't slept, this is how we look every single morning, Sean and I, and I have my cereal, I'm ready to go, Clay puts his finger in my cereal and then he locks eyes with me and just stares at me for a good 30 seconds. It was at this moment that I had this very similar look. And this is a look of a person full of Red Bull, no sleep, exhausted, and is asking himself the question: how did I get here? These are my adventures with Sean. And yet, what's so beautiful about this? This is 12 years ago. Um, Sean and I could have never predicted where God would have continued leading our story. We would have never predicted that 12 years later, I would be standing here in front of all of you, that he would be outside cooking uh, food for all of us for later today. And yet through God's perfect timing and through God's hand, his story has continued weaving us together. We're a little bit older, we have some more gray hair, there's less Red Bull in our bloodstream, and yet, and yet God is at work. Last week, Dave came and he preached on this idea of the fullness of God's time, that it was in the fullness of his time that God chose to send his son into the world. And what's so incredible about that moment was for the people in that day, they had been experiencing 400 years of silence. 400 years where they were starting to doubt, is God still here? Is God still present? Does God still care about us? Do we still matter to God? 400 years of silence, and this is from a community of people where God wasn't silent. God was active in their life. God was present, God would speak to people. God would send his prophets to the people. See, they'd have stories from generation to generation from their grandparents and their great-grandparents, stories of how God had moved in their lives. Whether it was rescuing them from the hand of the Egyptians, whether it was parting the Red Sea, Whether sending food down from heaven, they had stories of how God would be active in their life. And then suddenly, silence from God. And it was in the midst of this silence that we're going to be looking at a story today. The story of the voice of God breaking back through towards the people. Through an angel making this announcement that the Savior has been born. And in the midst of that darkness, God spoke and said, light has come into this world In the midst of a world full of hurt and pain and brokenness, God's saying that I have brought peace and hope for all of you. And through the silence, the cry of a baby that began to initiate the salvation for everybody. That's the story we're going to be looking at this morning. So let me pray for all of us and then we'll grab our Bibles and we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. Father God, we thank you for the fullness of your time. As hard as it is sometimes, God, as, as scary as it can be to not know what our next steps might be, Father God, we are so thankful that we are not in control, that your hand continues moving in our lives, even when our, our footing seems uncertain, that your hand is guiding us, Father, that you have a plan. In the same way that Bill prayed over Luke, Father, for you to direct and guide his steps, Lord, as he grows into the young man you've called him to be, Father, we're thankful that you know the plans you have for each and every one of us in this room that you knew we'd be gathered here this morning, Father, that there's a purpose for each and every person stepping foot in here, and God, you are holding that in your hands. So, Father, this morning, we thank you that we can look at this miraculous story of you sending your son into the world and all that that means for each and every one of us. Father God, we love you. Amen. I'll grab my Bible. Uh, I think the verses will be on the screen behind me. We're going to be looking at just one story from Luke chapter 2. I'll read these verses. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those in whom his favor rests. When the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. What I love about this passage and what I love about this scripture, it reveals so much to me and to all of us about the heart of God. Who really is God? What is God's character and nature? See, the angel makes his proclamation and gives us this truth, hey, that to us a Savior has been born. So that's the truth, right? That's the reality of what happened. But the question for the shepherds and the question for you and I today is what does that mean? What does it mean that the Savior has been born? What does it mean that there's a baby in a manger? And I love that the angel frames it and says, this is what's happened. Now, here's what it means. This is going to be good news. This baby is going to cause great joy. And this baby was born for all people. So that's what we're looking at this morning, that idea of those three phrases, good news, great joy, all people. What was the implication of the reality of the birth of Christ And the first is simply this, that it was good news. It was good news. The word gospel that we use again and again here, it it means good news. That's a translation of gospel. And we talk about the word gospel. What we're talking about ultimately is the full life and death of Jesus, right? When we say the gospel of Jesus, we're talking about his birth. We're talking about his life, how Jesus lived, how he interacted with people, how he moved towards people. And we talk about his death and resurrection. That's the good news. That's the gospel story. Now, the shepherds would have no idea the full meaning of what that word meant. They would have no idea that when that baby was born and the baby started crying, that that initiated the salvation of the world in that moment. They didn't know that a countdown clock had started, that in 33 years, that baby would go to the cross on behalf of each and every person and die for their sins. They would have never known that. But the angels knew. And the angel says, this is good news, because forgiveness has just entered into the world salvation has just entered into the world eternity has just entered into the world see that was the gospel that was the good news of what had just happened the good news wasn't only that salvation had entered the world although that would be enough the good news was that out of the silence the cry of the baby was a reminder to the people that God was present that God was here that God's been paying attention that God cares that God has drawn near to each and every person one of my favorite pieces of scripture in all of the Bible comes from the book of Exodus chapter 3. And I love these verses because for me, this has always helped me understand truly who God is. It's a, it, to me, it is the doctrine of God in Exodus chapter 3, and it shows his character and his nature. And in the book of Exodus chapter 3 is a time when the people of God were enslaved by the Egyptians, and they've been crying out to God for years and years and years, waiting for God to rescue them out of this place. They were getting to a place wondering as well, does God care? Is God present? Do we matter to God? And God finally appears to him, a man named Moses, and he tells Moses this. In Exodus chapter 3, the Lord said to Moses, I have indeed seen the misery of my people, and I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. The first two things we need to know about God, he has seen us and he has heard us. That God is noticing us. That God hears our cries. He hears our prayers. and not lost in God. God says, I've seen the misery of my people. I've heard them crying out. And yet that wouldn't even be enough for us, right? Because who wants to follow a God that can simply see us and hear us? That's, that's not enough for us as people. But here's the beautiful thing about God. That he sees our pain and it matters to him. Because the next thing God says is, I am concerned about their suffering. So we have a God that sees us. We have a God that hears our cries, he hears our prayers, we matter to God, God's paying attention to us, then God's concerned about us. God's saying, if you're hurting, then I'm hurting. I see your pain, and if you're in pain, then I am in pain for you. I'm concerned about the things going on in your life. And what's so crazy is even that is not enough of God, right? Because who wants to follow a God that simply sees and says, hey, I know you're hurting. I can see you're hurting, but has no ability to do anything about it. That's not a God I want to follow. And then God finishes up with this statement. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians to bring them out of that land into a good and plentiful land. God sees us. He hears us. He's concerned for us. And he says, I'm going to do something about it now. See, this is the God that we follow. See, the good news that the angels are proclaiming is that this baby has been born because God has seen you, God has heard you, God is noticing, he's paying attention, he's concerned, and he's come to do something about it. He's come to enter into this world. That's the good news. And that good news will cause great joy. See, the great joy for the people was this reality that God has drawn near That God isn't somebody that's simply far away from us, looking at us from high above, but God has come closer to us. One of the names we use for God is this name Emmanuel, and it means God with us, which is such a significant reality for each and every person. That the God of the universe will draw near to us. I often get asked um, by people who are trying to figure out God and trying to figure out the Bible and what it all means. What is the whole point of this story? What is the point of the Bible? What is a thread that connects all of these stories from Genesis to Revelation? What would you say? And it's a difficult question, of course. But one of the answers that I often give of what is the entire thread through all of Scripture is God's relentless pursuit of humanity. That the whole story of the Bible is God's relentless pursuit of humanity. See, in the very beginning, God created humanity. He created Adam and Eve. And he created us so that we would live perfectly with him, that we'd live perfectly with one another, And that we'd live perfectly with God. And yet sin broke that relationship. And suddenly a holy and pure and perfect God couldn't live perfectly with broken and sinful humanity. And so the separation began between us and God. And yet in that moment, God begins to relentlessly pursue creation. Because what do Adam and Eve do after they've sinned? You guys remember? They run and hide. Just like all of us do as well. They run and hide. And what do we see God do? He moves towards them. He calls for them. He clothes them. See, the rest of Scripture is a story of a God who draws near, who continues moving closer and closer to the very point where he would come onto this earth and to be born. That's what causes us great joy. And not only that, but what is so significant about what God has done is how he chose to come into this world, right? The how matters. Because God could have come into this world as a king on a throne, right? And I think many expected that he would do that. God could have come with a big calvary coming down, making the announcement. God could have been the person that I think some of us probably know people like this. When they enter a room, everyone's paying attention to them. They like it, they're like, all right, I'm here. Everyone pay attention. Everyone notice me. I'm the most important voice in the room. We know people like this. Some accuse me of being this kind of person in my life. I didn't get a microphone today. But God didn't do that, right? Of all the ways the God of the universe could have come onto this earth, he chose to come as a baby. And not even a baby like in the royal palace. This wasn't the royal birth moment, right? This wasn't the king and queen giving birth to a baby and all this fanfare is around it. No, this is a baby born in a manger to regular, ordinary people. Most what's incredible is also not only how he was born as a baby, but where this little town called Bethlehem. And we sing about Bethlehem, and it's this beautiful kind of idea in our hearts and our minds, but Bethlehem was a worthless place. It was insignificant to the people then. It didn't have any meaning. It didn't even matter to them. In fact, there's a great verse from the prophet Micah when talking about soon what was going to be the birth of the Savior. In Micah chapter 5, it says this. If I can find Micah chapter 5, there it is. God says, but you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. Though you are small amongst all the clans, though you are the insignificant one amongst all of this, out of you is going to come the Savior of the world. How God chose to come into the world brings us great joy because it subverts every expectation we could have about who God is and what he would do. It reminds us that out of the simple, out of the small, out of things that may seem insignificant ordinary or plain, God is gonna do miraculous things. See, this is what causes great joy, that God came as a baby. He was wholly dependent on others for survival, to feed him, to clothe him. He grew up and lived and walked amongst us and what that means for us is that we have a God who can empathize with us, right? We have a God that can truly say, I've walked in your shoes. We don't have a God that stayed high and far away, but a God that drew near and close. This is the good news that will bring great joy. A God that can have empathy. A God that understands our pain and our suffering because he had pain and suffering in his life as well. This is what I love about the reality of how. Jesus chose to come onto this earth. And even in his life and in his ministry, Jesus will look out at the people and say, I didn't come to be served by you, but I came to serve you and to give my life for you. See, this is the heart of our God. Good news that will cause great joy. And finally, the heart and the reality of what that means, is that this is for all people. This is for all people. This isn't meant for the religious exclusive or elite. This isn't meant for the rich and the powerful. This wasn't meant for the kings and the queens. No, this God came onto the earth and said, this is for all people. And look at how God came onto this earth. He chose ordinary people. There was nothing special about Joseph and Mary. They were ordinary. They were less than ordinary. All that they were were people that were choosing to be obedient to God. They said, yes, God is calling, so I'm gonna say yes. Look at how the announcement was made about the birth of the Savior of the world. The announcement goes to these shepherds in a field. The shepherds are outcast. They were the lowest of society. This is the grand birth announcement. This is a grand miracle. I bet for baby Luke, there was some great announcements that went out. Great fanfare that baby Luke is born. And yet the God of the universe birth announcement came to shepherds in a field. Why? For the reminder that this is for all people. And I love what the passage says, that when the angel comes to the shepherds, he says, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. In the town of David, a savior has been born to you. I love that part. I love the to you, because he's looking at the shepherds and saying, this is for you. Shepherds, this baby came for each and every person. This is who our God is. And throughout the life of Jesus we see him exemplify this. I mean, look at the people Jesus chose to spend time with. Prostitutes, sinners, the broken, the uneducated, the ones society had said you don't matter and you have no value. Those were the people Jesus was drawn towards and would eat with and would spend time with. His harshest words were for people that thought they had it all figured out, for the religious elite. His softest words were for the people who were broken and hurting. This is the reality of a God that came for all people. See, during that time, the Israelites had created this religion based on rituals, right? They were so afraid of messing up with God, they created all these rituals that were coming before them and creating barriers between themselves and God. And when Jesus came to this earth, one of the things that he would say again and again is, I'm tired of your empty rituals, because he came for relationship. He came to remind the people that he was there for relationship with each and every one of them. See, this is the good news. This is what causes great joy because this was for all people. And that's the beauty of who God is. And what I love about the story is how it ends. The response of the shepherds. Because in Luke chapter two, after these angels come, the first thing they have to say, of course, is do not be afraid or do not be terrified because suddenly out of nowhere, an angel appears. And the angel gives them this good news. And then it says, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appears, which means thousands upon thousands of angels fill the sky up to these shepherds. And they begin worshiping and praising God in front of these shepherds. And Bobby's depicted this incredible moment of these angels appearing. And here's the response of the shepherds. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. That's their response. Let's go. Let's go. They were just told that the savior of the world had come and their response was, let's go. Man, we can overcomplicate this sometimes, right? I'm as guilty as anybody of over theologying it, overthinking it, over rationalizing it. I don't know what the shepherd's life was. I don't know what they had planned that night or the next day. I don't know if they have a conversation about what makes logical sense and can this really be true. All we hear about the shepherds is they found out that God was near and they said, let's go. Let's go move towards this God. And I love what Bobby has depicted, because it is for us that same reality that in this moment, we are the shepherds. And these are the angels above us. And the reality has happened that God has entered into this world, that God is with us, that God is available for each and every person. So what's our response going to be? What's our response going to be when the God of the universe is calling us and pursuing us? For some of you in this room, this might be the 50th time you've heard a Christmas message. And maybe this is getting old and this is getting so repetitive and you've heard the story again and again. Maybe some of you grew up in a church and this is very normal for you. And I bet there's others in this room that you're still trying to figure out this Jesus thing. Maybe you're trying to figure out what this is all about and trying to figure out, is there really a God who pays attention to me, who sees me, who notices me, who's concerned for me, who's gonna, who's gonna do something and move towards me? But no matter where we fall, on that spectrum this morning, no matter where our hearts are at, whether we're trying to figure it out and we're confused and we're hurting or we've heard about Jesus and followed him our whole life, that response needs to be true for each and every one of us. That heart to say, let's go. Let's move forward towards whatever it is that God is calling each and every one of us to. Whether as a community or as individuals, let's go. And this morning we have an opportunity to physically even move into that, to physically take a step of saying, God, I'm ready to go towards whatever you have next for me, whatever this year looks like, whatever is laying before me, and it's through the communion table. See, the communion table is the gospel, right? It is the reality of the birth, the life, and the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's what communion is. It's it's saying, yes, the gospel, yes, I understand and I believe the reality of what God did that when that baby was born, as I said earlier, the countdown clock started, and Jesus was on a trajectory to live among us, to show us what perfect love looks like, to show us what it means to put hope and truth and love and peace into this world, and then ultimately to go to the cross and to offer his life as a sacrifice for each and every person so that we could have eternity with him. Freedom from sin, freedom from brokenness, freedom from pain. Does it make it any easier? No, it's really hard. And yet what Jesus gives us is that hope that sin and death don't have the last word in our stories. That hope that there's more beyond our present circumstances. There's hope that there's more beyond anything we could see or imagine in our lives. That's what communion represents, is that hope a chance for us to look back on the reality of who God is and to look forward to all that he may have before us. And so this morning, as we think about that heart, as we seek to have the heart that the shepherds had that night, saying, I wanna be a people that says, let's go. Communion is an opportunity. This table is open for all. Omid gave me a bunch of specific instructions of how I'm supposed to say this. I forgot all of them right now. It involves back to front or something. Can somebody yell out how we're supposed to do this? Amid will cover it. So I will end in prayer, and Amid will give us the specific instructions. I failed. (laughs) Father God, um, what a joy and blessing it is to be with your children this morning. And Father, what a privilege for me to stand amongst a community of people that I believe this is what you call the church to be. This is what you came on earth to initiate, this type of community. This is what Paul was preaching about. Father, a group of people who are relationally connected, who know and love one another, who care for one another. Father, community of people who gather together to worship your name, to study your word, to center our hearts, Father. A community of people that would surround Scotty and Catherine and Luke, and pray for them and walk with them through the next season of their life. A community of people that will eat together and sit around the table together. Father, this is what you meant when you said that my church will move forward and my church would be built, God. So, Father, I thank you for the souls and the hearts in this room this morning. God, I thank you for the reminder that the cries and the screams of a young baby were the signs to the rest of the world that salvation had come, that God would no longer just sit in heaven, but God would come to this earth to see us, to notice us, to remind us that he's concerned and that he cares and that he's going to do something about it. What an unbelievable reality of who our God is. Father, this morning, I pray that for each and every one of us God that we would have the strength and the courage no matter how difficult it may seem to continue saying "All right, God let's go let's go it may be hard at times it can be painful at times we can't see what's in front of us Father but yet our hearts would be obedient that we'd be open to trusting what you have next for us God because you have brought us this far Father God, we love you. Amen.